0: firefly but she's light outside the city lights shine bright but she We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world and it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. Today's topic is an important one. We're going to talk about emotionally-based practice versus evidence-based practice. If you don't live on a rock and you're on social media, you know that there's a lot of opinions about what is best practice and how we treat children with special needs. Now, that is where I encourage you to not get your information when it comes to making decisions about what to do in therapy on Monday morning. Do not listen to all of that white Noise, because a lot of that white noise is based on because I said so. And because I said so can be very popular and can be very emotionally moving because it strikes a nerve, it hits the amygdala, it has very emotionally charged. However, oftentimes it lacks any sort of scientific proof to support it. So, I encourage you to ignore social media, to ignore emotionally based thinking when it comes to intervention decisions, and instead to follow evidence based practice. And that's why I'm an advocate for researching every single detail of your practice. So when it comes to preschoolers, I have 20 years plus of experience not only as being a speech pathologist, but also as being a researcher. And I just didn't research speech sound disorders. I researched speech sound disorders. I researched language. I researched augmentative communication. I researched assessments. I researched literacy. I researched phonemic awareness and phonological awareness skills and motor skill development because they all impact one another and they all transactionally impact the child's ability to communicate. So you can't simply niche down and understand area of development because it's going to have such a great impact on the other areas of development. So in this research that I've done over the 20 years, I follow my research because that gives the children a voice that tells me what works and what doesn't work. The reason I think it's so important to research your practice is the value of a child is priceless and you're not going to take your investment and put it anywhere because someone said so. You're going to invest it and you're going to look at the impact of your investment and make changes as a result. Every step of the way, I research every aspect of my practice. And in doing so, you have a cumulative effect in which all of that adds up to make change. It's like weight loss. It's one thing to do one thing correctly. It's another thing to do everything correctly. And when you're doing everything correctly, when you have the diet, when you have the sleep, when you have the exercise, when you have the supplements, when everything is going correctly, you're going to produce change. It's the same way in intervention with children with special needs. You want to research every area and every detail because when all of the details are correct, you create great change. So what I'm going to share with you today is different areas that I've researched in my practice that go against the grain. And as a result of going against the grain, a lot of people don't like that, 25% of the population is known as change resistance. They don't like change. So when you're doing something different, it doesn't matter if it's effective or not, you're going to have people going against that. So I'm going to share with you some of the changes I've made that are evidence-based practice and the emotional-based practice criticism that I have going against it. So first of all, we're gonna talk about speech sound disorders. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm a great advocate of complex treatment targets. I'm like, start at the three element cluster, empty out your toolbox, use every cue available to you, and that will give you the greatest change. Now, I say that, and not only do I say that, I say across diverse populations of children. Now, of course, there's emotional-based practice criticism of that. And that criticism has been this. Every child is different. Every child benefits from a different approach. How could you say that all children benefit from complex treatment targets? That is not providing differential instruction. However, I'm saying that because over the last 10 years, I have researched diverse populations of children with childhood apraxia of speech, with dysarthrias, with autism spectrum disorder, with Down syndrome, with cognitive impairments, with phonological processes, with mild to severe articulation impairments, and across the board, in replicated research year after year, one thing remained constant. The more complex the treatment target, the greater the gains. Now, I encourage you to research your own practice. But I don't just make this comment flippantly. I make this comment because I've done the research across diverse populations of preschoolers. So, of course, there's an emotional-based practice backlash. How dare you say that because every child benefits from a different approach. I'm not saying that every child doesn't benefit from a different approach, but I'm saying that diverse groups of children all benefit from more challenging treatment targets in the treatment of speech sound disorders. So let's go on to another speech sound disorder, emotional-based practice criticism of something that simply is evidence-based. Another thing I do is I have a complex treatment paragraph and I use that complex treatment paragraph with novel verbs inside such as scrape and spray. And I get a lot of criticism from that. And the criticism goes something like this. How could you have children use vocabulary that is so non-functional and say the same paragraph over and over again that's not how we talk and that's exactly why i have the children use this non-functional paragraph that's not how we talk and that's exactly why i have these verbs that are very novel it's because i don't have previously aired history to fight with in motor planning, programming, and execution. So I don't have a history of interference with building accurate motor plans. I want a blank slate. I want to say verbs that the child does not say every day in an incorrect manner. So I've had children I've dismissed from therapy that have their R's down, but they're still calling Rufus their dog, Woofus. And that's because they've called him woofus for 10 years. That's interference. I can't change that motor plan program execution that's been said that way a million times before in a meaningful manner. I need a blank slate to work with. What am I doing? Basing this on is Patricia McCabe's work with her approach, Rest for Childhood Apraxia of Speech. If you haven't heard of it, it's highly effective. And what she uses is nonsense words. And why does she use nonsense words? Because she doesn't have the interference of past prior learning that's of aired motor patterns. Because just as practice makes perfect, practice makes imperfect. So the number two evidence-based practice I follow is I want to use a communication target that is not common in their vocabulary, that is novel. And they have a blank slate and I can make greater gains that way. What Patricia McCabe's work has shown is that it generalizes to real words. And what I do is I do the same paragraph and that generalizes to other words and phrases in building an accurate motor plan consistently. That's also complex and we have a waterfall effect. So the Third area, we're going to step into language. The third emotionally based practice issue that I've had is I've had criticism for my language being too complex. They say if the child's speaking at a one word level, you were to add two words and turn it into a two or three word phrase. Add one or two words to that single word utterance. And what do I advocate? Add a clause to that single word, utterance. Turn those simple phrases and sentences into complex sentences. Because what the research shows is that complex sentences and clauses is where you're going to get the great gains. And when it comes to language, more is more. The longer, the more complex the utterance is, The greater diversity of verbs and nouns that you're using, the greater the outcomes, and not just with children with speech and language impairments, but also with children with autism. So don't be a gatekeeper and think, I got to keep it really simple for you. Give them the good stuff, give them the top shelf, give them the narrative language give them the complex sentences, give them those temporal terms first and next and then and lastly that promote executive function development and do it in a multimodal manner. Have the visual reference there, have the pictures there and use your body. But yes, more is more is what I say to these emotionally-based practice people that say you are too complex, you're only allowed to add a word or two to what the child is saying. I would say the research indicates that adding a clause to what the child's saying is the way to go, not a word or two. So let's look at the fourth area. We have six total. The fourth area I'm going to look at is augmentative and alternative communication. Now I talked about before, when it comes to motor planning, practice makes perfect and practice also makes imperfect. So when you're working on motor movement, planning, programming, execution, you want to work at the child's challenge point, which means the child is at with 80% accuracy, able to perform the motor movement accurately. So when it comes to augmentative and alternative communication, I like to work within the child's zone of proximal development in which the child is able to visually scan the information and manipulate it, whatever manner they use, if it's eye gaze, if it's their fingers, if it's their hands. So what I do is I like to use a program such as Lamp for Life and I'll hide symbols and make them not visible, visible using Vocab builder when the child is learning new vocabulary. Then I immediately put the symbols back for generalization. So for instance, in the beginning stages, I may hide the line of helping verbs on the LAMP program when the child is learning the basic core vocabulary. Then I immediately switch that program back on and show them the total 84 core words and they get to practice their newly learned motor planning within generalization almost instantaneously. What I'm looking for is that we have an 80% minimal accuracy level so that I'm ensuring that accurate motor planning programs are being learned. This is evidence-based. This is evidence-based practice with lots and lots of systematic studies that show that this 80% rule is a golden one. And when you dip below it, you really risk habituation of arid motor planning as well as frustration. And when you're going above 80%, you're not challenging the child enough. So sometimes you get people's opinions and they will say, Why would you take a child's words away? You wouldn't do that to a neurotypical child. And they make it an emotional-based practice. And they say, we should start every child with 108 symbols on a communication core board because we presume competence. And it sounds so good. And I do presume potential. I believe the sky's limit for every child that I work with. But I'm not going to go to someone that's never met my child that has an opinion. And because they say so, that's where I'm going to start. If this person has research, where she said, I compared 108 to 64 symbols with three-year-olds and we found that the 108, you get better than the 64. I'm going to drink that cool I'm going to start at 108. But that's not where we are. This is not evidence-based practice. This is emotional-based practice. Where I'm going to start is where the child tells me to start and where that child's challenge point is. And I'm going to always take it up a level because it's a dance. It's a moment to moment interaction. And I'm always going to challenge that child to the 80% level. And it's going to, we're going to grow that vocabulary over time, but I am going to meet the child where they are and challenge them at all times. And it's dynamic. It's not prescriptive. It's not from someone from the county. It's not from some expert guru. It's from the child. The child will tell you where to start and when to challenge them and when to take it up a level and when you might have to take it down a level. So let's look at the next piece of emotional-based practice versus evidence-based practice. We're going to talk about literacy. So I received a lot of criticism because I work on elements of the story, the narrative with three-year-olds. And luckily, we have Trina Spencer and Douglas Peterson, who have so much research across diverse populations of preschoolers that say that this is an excellent target for preschool age children. And not just for preschool age children, for children with cognitive impairment, for children with autism spectrum disorder, for English language learners, for children from culturally and economically diverse populations, give them the good stuff. Give them the elements of the story. And what Trina Spencer and Douglas Peterson have shown across diverse populations is that you're going to improve language comprehension. You're going to improve language expression. You're going to improve narrative skills. Even handwriting can be improved by making these skills automatic of narration at the elementary level. So why is this such an important skill to work on with preschoolers? Because what we know is our preschoolers, when they go into elementary age, if they have communication impairments, they're more likely to have social and academic challenges ahead. And if we want to give them resilience, we're going to take that backpack and fill it with the ability to tell a story, to tell when they are having these challenges, what these challenges are and why to be able to clearly communicate that to others. So the the ability to tell a story is perhaps the single most important communication skill that we could give a child with communication impairments. So this is a skill of pivotal importance. And yes, Traditionally, before Trina Spencer came along and Davis Peterson in their research, this was a skill that was covered in mid-elementary age curriculum, elements of the story. But they show great value in empowering preschoolers with this skill using a multimodal approach. So let's look at the next area. Movement. So I've been criticized through emotional-based practice that you should not be improving motor skills in your speech-language therapy. That is unethical. You are a speech-language pathologist. You are to work on the mouth and the brain, and that's where communication happens. And I could not disagree more. So first of all, the type of intervention that I use is the most effective intervention found in the realm of physical therapy and occupational therapy to improve motor skills. Yes. And the neat thing about it is the research indicates that you don't need to be a physical therapist or an occupational therapist to do this type of intervention, which is called task oriented movement activities. So if you do these type of movement activities, if you're a yoga teacher, if you're an early childhood teacher, if you're a speech pathologist, if you're a parent, you are going to make great gains in motor skill development and you're never touching the child. So it's never unethical to develop educationally rich activities that treat the whole child. And that is because, particularly at the preschool level, preschoolers communicate with each other not through words, but through actions. They don't ask their peers, can I play with you? They imitate their peers' complex motor activities. That's how they join each other and play. 80% of communication is nonverbal. So when we are treating the whole child at the preschool level and we're using this task-oriented movement activities, the real magic happens in the narrative. Before the children engage in these task-oriented movement activities, what they do is they tell us the story of what they're going to do. Not only does this improve their narrative skills, which we get back to as perhaps the most important skill and communication that you can empower a child with when they go on to elementary school, but also it improves their executive function. So I look at the preschool level, no child should be sitting at a table and chairs for 30 minutes. That's not what preschoolers are meant to do. They're meant to play. They're meant to learn through experience. They're meant to learn through using their whole bodies in space. And that's how they communicate with others. So when we're doing our communication intervention, it should look like how children communicate in the real world if we want generalization. So those are the six areas that... I've struggled with and that I've had a lot of criticism in which I've had a lot of emotional based practice thinking, which says you shouldn't be doing these things because I said so. Don't listen to that white noise. You don't answer to these people. You answer to the child that you are servicing. If you want to change their lives, you listen to them And you listen to what works with them and what doesn't work with them. And you do more of what works and you do less of what doesn't work. And at the end of the day, you're going to change their lives and you're going to move the needle because there will be a cumulative effect from all of that adding up and what works and what works and what works in only 45 minutes a week of intervention. You're going to change this child's life because neuroplasticity is a high level and you're going to challenge them and you're going to create change in their brains and you're going to create change in their lives so thank you so much for joining me i want you to roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place one child at a time and you're first